How is it to be mindful right now? What are you aware of if you're mindful before the talk's starting? If you're new, how is it? What are you aware of in your body, heart, and mind? If you're old, <laughs> what, what is it in your body, heart, and mind? Can you be mindful in these kind of transition periods between formal sitting and then walking, and now we're having a Dharma talk? So I want to encourage you to stay mindful and embodied during the talk. And of course, I mean, I hope you listen to the talk and I hope it's a good talk, we'll see. But also, practice is in the foreground of experience, being aware of your body sitting here hearing, because the hearing is happening right where you're sitting. And so it's... uh, it's very, I always think it's a really important part of practice is how we practice during the talk. Uh, partly because the talks seem like the most exciting thing of the day often because it's a little entertainment, right? Instead of just sitting, walking, sitting, walking, eating, bathroom. I mean, not much more than that, right? Have you noticed that today? Well, um, and I would like to talk tonight about mindfulness and investigation and what it means to learn to be aware and even what that, even what mindful is or what awareness is in terms of the Buddhist teaching. And the the whole teaching on mindfulness comes from what's called the Satipatthana Sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, which are mostly translated as the four foundations of mindfulness. But uh, would be, in my opinion, much more accurately translated as the four foundations of awareness. And it's really the four foundations are, first of all, mindfulness of the body, which we're starting with, the first foundation. And the second foundation is the feeling tone of any moment. It's the, the word in Pali is Vedana. And the feeling tone is the flavor or the taste or the experience of e- any moment which is either pleasant or unpleasant or neither pleasant or unpleasant, often called neutral. And that's true of every moment of experience is one of the, has one of those three flavors, whether it's a bodily experience, a heart experience, a mind experience, an, an expanded experience of consciousness, they have those flavor, either it's, either it's um, pleasant or not pleasant, or it's neither pleasant nor not pleasant. And then the third foundation is really mindfulness of heart-mind, 
of emotions and, and the mental capacities are included in the same foundation. And the fourth foundation is mindful of the Dhamma, of the truth, of the teachings of the Buddha and what they mean experientially. And the word mindful is a fairly recent invention, or maybe I should say translation. It, it was bar borrowed by Thomas Rice Davis in 1881 when he was trying to talk about what Buddhists did, right? What meditation was. And he took the word mindful from the St. James Bible because he knew something was sacred was happening, but he did he just referred to his tradition to find the right word to translate satipatthana. And the word mindful uh, in the dictionary is a quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. That's what it means these days, to be conscious, aware of something, or a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment and kind of calmly acknowledging and accepting feelings, thoughts, body sensations. That's a, that's a dictionary uh, interpretation of what it means to be mindful, which is, you know, has some of the basics in it. Um, but it's much more than that to be mindful. It's really about present moment awareness. And as said, and this is probably, I've borrowed some of this from uh, uh, Bhikkhu Analyo, the Venerable Analyo, and it's due to the presence of sati that one is able to remember what is otherwise only too easily forgotten, the present moment. With, which is what is happening now, what's here now in your consciousness. And I'm probably part of what's here now in your consciousness and these words and your thoughts about it or feelings about it. And of course, also your body is here and however your body's feeling after this day of practice of course, it'd be very polite for me to say, how many bodies are, are uncomfortable after a day of practice? Could you raise your hand? Have you noticed any? Okay, that's, you know, we asked this before, it's just part of the deal. And, um, and it's, it's part of being, uh, what sati means is to be in the present moment with what is true. And it starts to point at a presence of mind or a presence of, in my translation, mind-heart, right? It's about wakefulness. And the Buddhist teachings are for all of us, in my understanding, about waking up, about discovering what's true, about realizing freedom, And this, again, is from Venerable Analyo, who said, Sati, as present moment awareness, is similarly reflected in different presentations of the pati, sambhidhi, 
Daga, the Visuddhi Maga, I'll just go there, presentations of the Visuddhi Maga, according to which the characteristic of sati is presence. The characteristics of sati, of what Thomas Rice Davis called mindfulness, is sat, is presence. And it's a presence of heart and mind. It's a presence of being, right? And he goes on to say, this quality of presence, whether as a faculty, as an awakening factor. Remember, we were talking about the seven factors of awakening, which investigation is part of. Well, he's saying the first factor is sati, right? This presence of, of heart and mind as an awakening factor, as a factor of the Eightfold Noble Path. It's part of the, of the logos of the teaching. And he says, or at the moment of realization, there's this presence of heart and mind, this presence of consciousness would be another way to say it, right? And the satipatthanas, the four satipatthanas, right, of body, um, feeling, tone, heart, mind, dharma, right, they ask for certain qualities to come into play to wake up. And one is to be diligent. And sometimes that the word that is translated as diligent is translated as ardent. And I like the word ardent because it's a heartfelt kind of um, dedication to staying present moment by moment by moment. And when I say that, I mean, please do that as best you can, without expecting to be perfect at it. Because it's very easy to get judgmental about one's practice. Has anybody ever, have you noticed that at all? Is that, right, great, I'm, I have the best teaching for you. Stop it. <laughs> really, you don't have to be judgmental about it. You're doing the best you can. You can't do any better than that. Really, I, I have total faith in everybody here. You wouldn't be here if you didn't care about this, if it wasn't of import to you. And so I'm, I'm sure everybody's doing the best they can. Believe me, I've watched Eugene do the best he can for 40 years. And, you know, sometimes it's pretty good, and sometimes it's like, <laughs> it's like... I wish I could do better, but I'm even when I can't do better, I'm still doing the best I can, right? And that's a, that's why ardent is a beautiful word because it brings in the heart, and the heart's so important. The the care and the kindness and the love and the devotion to practice. So that's partly how I understand one of these qualities that they say is important for satipatthana diligence. Ardent, devoted is another way I would say it. And then, of course, fully aware is really important. Fully aware and clearly knowing what's happening now, what's here now, what is this experience. And you could know it with the um, concept, <clears throat> concept of what it is, or without the concept, you could just know it experientially. Like, oh, this is what's here. And you might not even have a word for it. 
but you know the experience. You're there with it. You're present with it. There's a presence of consciousness that's including that experience that is not separate from it. And one of the qualities that is helpful as we practice is what's called freedom from desire and discontent with regard to the world. What, it, what that means to me is relaxing or letting go of our attachment to how things should be, both here and in our mind about how things should be doing the best we can and relaxing with what's here in a very open-hearted way. And it's beautiful when you actually read the Satipatthana Sutta, it gives these instructions for mindfulness of body and Vedana and heart-mind and dharmas. But after each instruction for each of the foundations of awareness, there's a refrain in the Satipatthana, and the refrain, I feel, is very important. And the refrain goes like this, in regard, like after the first foundation about mindfulness of the body, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally, or one abides contemplating the body externally. So internally means the feeling, sensations, experience of the aliveness that's sitting here. And then externally means also the body is in space, right? It's not outer space, it's the space in this room, but your body is in the, the space of the universe, which is right here, right? My body's moving in space, just doing this. Right? And so there's some sense of the external experience of the body. Walking meditation is a great, a great experience of that because you're walking through space and you're going nowhere. You're just walking. And you're mindful of the body walking. So that, or one abides contemplating the body both internally and externally. Right? At the same time, this is part of the paradox of, of awareness. It's sometimes it's one thing, sometimes it's the other thing, sometimes it's both in that moment. That awareness is very fluid, expansive, can include way more than we think it can include. Even though there's a great um, benefit to just focusing on one thing like body and breath to get to coalesce, to compose, to unify consciousness with the experience. And then we take that unified awareness and open it up to everything. And then the Satipatthana refrain goes on. 
Uh, one abides the nature of the arising of the body, or one abides contemplating the nature of the passing away of the body, meaning the impermanence of the body. Our bodies are changing in every moment. You know you're all older than when you first arrived here? Everybody got that? And that happening in every day, every hour, every moment? Our bodies are not permanent, they're changing, right? One abides contemplating the rising and passing away of the body, or, and then very simply, mindfulness that there is a body is established in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. So just feeling your body right now while you're listening, just having a sense of it, means you're being mindful of the body. And then there's this key piece that comes now in the refrain. It goes, and then one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. One abides independent, not clinging to anything in, this, in the world. This is how in regard to a body, one... I, one abides contemplating the body, right? One abides independent, meaning not being cathected to anything, not being bound to anything, not being attached to anything. And this is not, this seems like something might seem, I don't know how it seems to you, it might seem like, I can't do that. I'm attached to everything. I can assure you, you can all let go, which is what this is pointing at, because really there's nothing in my, totally my experience and my opinion that we can actually hold on to. Everything we think we are holding on to that we want to hold on to, we try and hold on to, we can't actually hold on to anything. Everything is coming and going like the body. The thoughts are coming and going, the feelings are coming and going, the experiences are coming and going, people are coming and going, um, uh, jobs come and go, everything comes and goes. There's nothing we can actually hold on to. And so what Satipatthana is pointing us to, what's important about this very simple practice of being mindful moment by moment by moment is learning to come into harmony with reality, with the way things are, with the truth, as far as I can tell, of what's actually happening all the time. There's nobody who's ever been able to hold on to anything, really. We can get tight. We can pretend we can hold on. I mean, I can, I can hold on to the, to the striker for a while, you know, for an hour, for two hours, for three hours. Sooner or later, I'm going to throw it away. I, I can assure you, I get tired of holding on. I can't hold on to it anymore. And I'm 
I'm, you know, being humorous about it, but it's actually true of everything. I mean, I love my family, friends, community, people. I love a lot of things, but I can't hold on to any of them. It's one of the great benefits of being a father as your child teaches you very quickly. They're, they're not, you can't hold on to them. They need to grow up and be themselves and do their life. And if you try to hold on, there's a lot of dukkha. It doesn't mean you don't love them. You don't care about them. You don't want the best for them. You, you, you do, I do. But, it's, but there's no actual holding on. Holding on is a mental, psychological, um, instinctual kind of uh, dynamic that we can see at some point is actually not true. We can't do it. So Satipatthana begins to free us from many of our misunderstandings about the nature of reality. And it's by the using, beginning to recognize awareness and the skillful um, knowing that comes when we're aware of the various phenomena that appear right here, and I'm pointing at myself, but of course I'm pointing at each of you. The word awareness in Cambodia means in the body. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was so fascinating. Awareness in Cambodian means in the body. The opposite of awareness means not in the body. So we're encouraging you on this first day of retreat, which is probably the hardest day for most people. Just to give you a heads up, it's probably the hardest day for most people, first day. Just, you know, it's like downshifting very quickly in a car, and boom, and you're not going at all, or you're barely going down the road. Right. Of course, if I want to be honest, sometimes the second day is worse, but... <laughs> but... but, but <laughs> Let's hope the first day was was it. Sayadaw Uteshani, he says, you need to be aware of yourself continuously, whatever posture you're in, from the time you wake up until the time you fall asleep. And Aaron was mentioning the different postures lying down. The one thing later tonight, one of the great ways to practice is lying down in bed. And if you fall asleep, it's not a problem. And if you stay awake, you're meditating. It's, it's good both ways. It's a twofer, we call it. So I, a few years ago in 2017, I, w I had the good fortune, really, the, 
to go to Asia, which I hadn't been to Asia in many years, and I went to Bhutan, which I've never been to, which is really fascinating country, Buddhist country. And I went to the cave of Longchenpa, and Longchenpa was a Vajrayana practitioner, and 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 this was the cave he practiced in. And you go there, and there's one sign there, which is a quote from him that they put up, and uh, and the quote goes like this: "Awareness is always refreshing itself." Awareness is always refreshing itself, always newly arriving. You can neither obtain this awareness nor lose it. Awareness is always refreshing itself, always newly arriving. You can neither obtain this awareness nor lose it. I salute the spontaneously perfect universal creativity, self refreshing awareness. Universal creativity as the teacher, a direct teaching that you do not need to strive for, that you do not need to strive for. I invoke the turning of the wheel of the natural great perfection of spontaneous presence. It's a beautiful quote. I feel like oh, the whole dharma's in this quote. What we're doing here is actually in this quote. And he's, we're just discovering what's already here, awareness, that we're not even doing, that we can neither obtain, because we can't own it. It's not like, you know, put the awareness in your pocket. How about that? Put it in your backpack, right? You can't do it. And you can't lose it, he also says. Right? And then he says, I salute, I hear it as I bow to the spontaneously perfect universal creativity of this self-refreshing awareness that is basically here. And it's here right now. And of course, part of what we're doing here this week is investigating awareness. We're exploring, discovering, learning, wondering about, and finding our way to abide in awareness itself. You know, and so the question that we ask you to be, to answer all the time is, what are you aware of now? Right? Which is what What are you noticing now about your body, about your breath, about your heart, about your mind? And, you know, we're focusing to start mostly on the body and breathing. But you may have noticed even when you're focused on body and breathing, there are thoughts and feelings and sounds and smells and tastes and other sensations in the body and and all kinds of reactions and responses to all of that. How does it happen that we can be aware? Is one of the questions, is part of the overarching inquiry of the retreat. And it's not a question you have to answer verbally, but it's a question we want you to explore experientially and just see what is the experience of being aware 
and who's doing the awareness. Again, I'll continue from Saira Utejaniya because he talks a lot both about awareness and investigation. He said, you not only want to be aware that the mind is quiet sometimes, right? You not only want to be aware that the mind is quiet, but also of the mind, which is aware of that quietness. That makes sense what I said? Should I say that again? You not only want to be aware when the mind is quiet, but also of the mind, which is aware of that quietness. And that's fun in my experience. I mean, that's interesting. Like, where the hell is the mind anyways? Not, not what scientists tell us. Where is it in your direct experience? Because you all have this mind, right? I think, most people. And he's pointing at something about it. The mind that's aware of the quietness or the awareness that's aware of the quietness. You know, so being mindful of what you're aware of and what is it that is aware? What is it that is aware? And we're highlighting awareness because it's an important part of practice. It's an important part of our development as mature human beings to discover awareness itself, to discover the sea that we swim in. I believe I said that last night. And uh, Hamid Ali, one of my teachers, uh, who I mentioned last night, he said, awareness occupies a very special place. In a sense, inner development as a whole, the work on personality and essence, can be seen as the freeing and expansion of awareness. The freeing and expansion of awareness. And one of the things that supports our discovery of awareness and this freeing and expansion of, our, of the presence of mindfulness, as Analyo talked about it, is a certain kind of skillful attitude called right attitude. And there's a lot of different rights in Buddhism. I don't know if you know this, you know, right mindfulness and right concentration and all, all these different rights. And I like the term right. A lot of people now, they use right mindfulness, right concentration, excuse me, they use wise mindfulness or wise concentration or wise speech. You know, that little... Um, yeah, little totem that we have walking in has all the wises. And those are all originally were translated as right, right, right speech, right action, right mindfulness. Um, and I like the word right partly because I looked it up in the dictionary. The dictionary has a really great understanding of right in, in terms of the way we're using the term. The word right means that which is in alignment with the truth. That's what right means. Doesn't It's not just right or wrong. It's, oh, what, what's the speech that brings us in alignment with the truth? 
What's the action that brings us in alignment with the truth? What's right livelihood that brings us in alignment with the truth? And so I, I just like the term. So then right attitude is actually a term that Saida Utejaniya uses. And um, it's about being mindful of what happens in our hearts and mind with our reactions and our responses and our liking and not liking and being kind with whatever arises in awareness, right? With whatever arises. And one of the great um, Vedic teachers of the last century, Sri Nisargadatta, and Sri Nisargadatta, I never met him, but Jack Cornfield spent time with him, and I've talked to Jack about that. And uh, and uh, Jack spoke so highly of Sri Nisargadatta. At one point, he said he was the most awakened person he ever met. And um, and Nisargadatta said this. He said, "By being with oneself, by being with oneself, and here this practice is about being with." oneself, with yourself, with this heart and mind that can awaken. He said, by being with oneself, by observing with the intention to understand rather than to judge. Again, this is key part of practice about not judging one's practice, right? By being with oneself, by observing with the intention to understand rather than to judge, in full acceptance of whatever may emerge, like full acceptance of whatever is here, um, whatever may emerge, simply because it is there, you allow the deep to come to the surface and enrich your life and consciousness with its energies. This is the great work of awareness. And it's just such a great quote. I'm going to read it again. I just love this. By being with oneself and observing with the intention to understand rather than judge in full acceptance of whatever may emerge simply because it is there, you allow the deep to come to the surface and enrich your life and consciousness with its energies. This is the great work of awareness. And so this is what we're doing here, or this is what we're not doing here. This is what we're learning here in a very relaxed, kind way, a very heartfelt way. And even if we make a lot of effort, it's the effort of devotion, of dedication, of care, of love, of waking up, of the truth. And you all, in my opinion, you all come here for that. However, whatever form or shape it took in your heart and mind before you came, everybody has an intuition, I believe, of that there is more possible for us as human beings than we know, than we've realized, that we've um, developed into, right? But we know it's possible, so we come to, you know, um, I, 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 what did you say, an institution like this, you know, to see, okay, show me. If this is possible, let's, let's give it a go and see what happens.
Yeah, and so to reflect even a little about the direct experience of awareness, and of course I've been reflecting on it all day, um, and I took a little walk earlier today, actually a beautiful walk up in the hills, and and I just watched the awareness open up. And it, I didn't do it. I was just open to it and, and curious about it. And, I'm, you know, basically I just asked this question, where is the awareness? And it's not like I know where it is, but it's everywhere all of a sudden. It's just here, and I'm aware of the trees and the sun and the, and the shapes and the distance and my feelings and, um, you know, even watching my mind worried about, am I taking too much time on the walk? All of that's known by the awareness, right? And all the all the experiences, when when the when I'm really uh, abiding, starting to relax with into the awareness itself, it's so simple, right? And I I've uh, spent a lot of years. I spent a lot of words, years working in hospice and working with people who were ill and dying and grieving. And, um, and I also did a little bit of study of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, they, they say it this way. They say, remember who you really are. Remember who you really are. Rest in natural awareness. Remember the clear light, the bright, shining white light of your own nature. The visions that you experience within your consciousness, these are made of the same clear, bright light. They will all pass away. They will all pass in time. Don't cling to them. Let them go. Remember who you really are. Rest in this natural awareness this clear, clear light, bright, shining, white light of your own nature. The visions, when I hear this word, the visions, it's thoughts and feelings and all the experiences, right, that you experience within your consciousness, they are made of the same clear, bright light. They're not bad. There's nothing wrong with them. They will all pass in time. Don't cling to them. Let them go. Then you will be liberated. Rest in the natural radiance of your own heart and mind. From the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And it's pointing at the radiance of being that's right here. No matter what's happening, it's still here. That's the great paradox. Even when we feel like shit, it's still here. <laughs> it sounds totally weird, but it's true. It's still, there's the radiance of being underneath the feelings and the aversion and the not liking and the, can we just change this moment of reality, which many times reality needs to be changed a little. I'm not, I'm not against that or anything, but, but what wants to change reality is radiant itself. So the luminosity of awareness, which is everywhere, right? 
Every, anybody here not aware? Would you raise your hand if you're not aware? <laughs> so everybody, everybody, are you really not aware? No, not you, behind you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> really, because if you're not aware, how did you, weren't you aware that I asked the question? <laughs> So you need to really, really pay attention to what's true, not what we think, but to really see, am I aware or not aware? Because there may be some times when we're not aware. There may be times we're not aware that we're aware, like when we're asleep, right? But a lot happens in consciousness then. And we can, I don't know what that all means, but it's true. And there is... There is an experience where consciousness ceases, but that's more rare than ordinary. And that also has its deep appreciation in our tradition when that does happen, and it does, right? But the fact that we're all aware, I wrote down here, is that is the awareness, is your awareness different than my awareness? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting question to reflect on. Because let me see your awareness and see if it's different than my awareness. Can anybody show me their awareness? <laughs> right? Nobody can show me because nobody has, nobody, it's not ours. It's beyond us. And it points to what in Buddhism is talked about as the not-self experience. Awareness is part of not-self, but it's right here, and we live in it, and we're functioning because we're aware. We can be aware of both the particulars and the expanse of life, of consciousness. Here's one thing from... Uttejaniya, he's talking with a student, a yogi, and the yogi says, I try to maintain the internal awareness, but, but when the awareness wants to go out, it affects that awareness. And Uttejaniya said, the outside is important, uh, but so are you. Why not be aware of both? And which is something you can do right now, you are doing right now, you're aware of both internally and externally. He says, why not go 50-50? Ah, awareness. It's quite something. Quite something we're all learning about. When I say all of us, I'm including myself. And it's one of the things that I like about Saito Utejaniya. He says, oh yeah, this is what we understand, and this is what we understand, and this is what we understand. But don't think we understand it yet. There's more to learn. There's more to discover. There's more to wake up to. And that feels very, very accurate to me. And it's the same, what he's pointing at is very similar about what it means to awaken. Because usually, at least I'll speak for myself, I thought when I was young in the Dharma, I thought, okay, you get awakened and then you're done then uh, it's over, you know, then I'm good. 
you know, then I'm, I'm driving my Cadillac and that's it. But, um, but in fact, that's just the beginning. Awakening doesn't end. There's not an end point. Awakening is a whole nother level of human maturation. When I think about the Buddha, one of the ways I like to think about him is that he's a mature human being. What he did was he realized a level of maturity beyond most people. And we all have a level of maturity. I'm not saying we're not mature at a certain level. I mean, you're all mature enough to take care of business and get here and pay your bills and do whatever you need to do. That's a certain level of maturity. But there's another level of maturity that the Buddha realized and then offered because he realized that, oh, any person could realize this level of maturity that is called awakening, that is called freedom, that is called liberation. I'll end with a quote from Ajahn Sumedho, who says, Awareness is your refuge. Awareness is your refuge. Awareness of the changingness of feelings, of attitudes, of moods, of material change and emotional change. Stay with that because it's a refuge that is indestructible. It's a refuge that is indestructible. It's not something that changes. It's a refuge that you can trust in. This refuge is not something that you create. It's not a creation. It's not an ideal. It's very practical and very simple, but easily overlooked or not noticed. When you become mindful, you're beginning to notice. It's like this. It's a beautiful way that Sumedho likes to talk about a moment, moment of reality. He just says, oh, now it's like this. Whatever the this is, it's like this. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll just sit for a moment. Awareness is your refuge. Stay with it because it's a refuge that is indestructible. It's not something that changes. You can trust in it. It's not something you create. 
it's not a creation. It's very practical, very simple, but easily overlooked or not noticed. When you're mindful, you're beginning to notice. It's like this. So after the talk, you don't have to wait for us to leave. You can go before us after the talk. Okay. Thank you. And we'll sit again at 9 o'clock. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.